0: What's going on Valley Christian Church? You guys enjoying today's service so far in this room today? Anybody in here? All right, incredible, incredible. I am Pastor Stephen Francis, and I'm excited to be here for week four of our series, Four Things. I wish you knew about God. Before I go any further, though, I want to make a big shout-out. I'm going to look at this camera right here in the back, and I want to make a shout-out to all of the awesome people at the Poughkeepsie campus. I love you guys. Thank you for allowing me to serve you as your campus pastor. Can't wait to be with you next week, but I'm happy to be here with you awesome people. And I also want to give a big shout-out to everyone on our online campus. I pray that this message blesses you and also that you can join us here live whenever you can. Guys, we are in a special weekend here. This is Mother's Day weekend. Can everyone here give a big round of applause for how awesome mothers are in our lives today? Can't nobody love you better than your mama, right? I actually want to show you a picture of my mom. Here's a picture of me and my wife on our wedding day. This beautiful lady right here to the left is my mother-in-law, Karen Johnson. Many of you guys know her as the children's pastor. Yeah, you can give her a round of applause. She does an incredible job. Incredible job as the children's pastor. Also makes incredible mac and cheese. If you haven't had it, ask for it. That's my wife right here. Ignore my uncle that completely photobombed this shot. But right here this beautiful woman is my mother. Her name is Maureen Francis. I love her very much. Something unique about my mom is that she is not from America. She is Jamaican and she made sure to raise me and my siblings with an appreciation for that type of culture. See, the other thing about my mom that I always loved and appreciated is that she is a great woman of faith. And she took every opportunity, whether we were in the car together or her talking to me on the phone, and she would talk to me about Jesus and the importance of Jesus in my life. In fact, she talks to me about Jesus like I don't know him, like I'm not already a pastor. That's how much she talks to me about Jesus. But my mom growing up would always say this, Stephen, God is working in your life. God is moving in your life. You just need to pay attention. And truth be told, I always thought that was just another one of her crazy sayings. Part of it because I always thought my mom kind of had this relationship with God that I just didn't resonate with. My mom's relationship with God felt like her and God would sit on the couch and just talk and laugh for hours. My relationship with God felt like God was somewhere somewhere out there in the cosmos with his back towards me, and every prayer that I made was trying to get his attention to turn around. The older I got, the more I realized that the feeling that I had towards God is the way how many people feel. Maybe even people in this room may feel about God. But I also realized the older that I've gotten that my mother is right. That God is always moving in your life. He's always active in your life. And in this series, we've talked about how God is more powerful, how God is more present, how God is more loving. And today we're talking about how God is more active. If you're actually following along today in your Valley app notes, that's actually the first fill in the blank that we have here. And that is this, that God is more active than you think and he invites you to join him in his work. Fun fact, many people think that the Bible is just one book, but the Bible is actually 66 books put together, written by over 52 different authors in a 1,500 year span and over three different continents. Of all of those, authors and time spans and continents, first off, it's amazing that they could all come together and be the exact same story of God's love to man. But also in those stories are 52 major stories that consist in the Bible, 52 stories that show people interacting with God, God interacting with man. And and through there, we can see that there's some common themes. But one of the most common themes that exists within those 52 major stories is this, that God is always moving in the lives of people, and he moves both in the lives of people and then through the lives of people. In the lives of people and then through the lives of people. Truth be told, this is the case for all of us, but it's many times difficult for us to notice this because we live very busy lives. Many of us, we have kids, we have stuff at work, we have uh, obligations that we commit to, things that we want to do. We have vacations, but our vacations are so busy, we sometimes need a vacation from the vacations, and we end up praying to God in a similar fashion that kind of goes like this, God, thank you so much for everything you're doing in my life, this is great, really appreciate it. Listen, there's this one issue I really need you to deal with, okay? My kids are crazy right now god uh my money is really funny right now i could really use you to help with my health you put it you fill in the blank but we pray to god god if you could just fix this one issue that will be great and then we go about the rest of our lives and then when we don't see anything happening there it's easy for us to think that god isn't doing anything at all but in reality God, again, is always moving in and through. He is transcendent and imminent, meaning he is above all things and also working through all things. So the question is never if God is moving. The question is more what is God doing in this present situation? And if you're not paying attention to the right thing, you may completely lose what it is that he's trying to do. To help kind of make this a little bit more plain, there was a car commercial that came out a few years ago that I believe kind of captures what it is that I'm trying to articulate. So some of you guys have seen it, but for the sake of everybody in this room, let's watch this commercial together and you can get an idea of what I'm talking about.
1: To test just how much attention the attention-stealing design of the new Skoda Fabia actually steals, we left one parked on this ordinary road in West London. We wanted to see if its sharp, crystalline shapes, bold lines and lower, wider profile would attract the desired level of attention. Will the 17-inch black alloy wheels stop passers-by in their tracks? Will the angular headlights attract the attention of other road users? Will a crowd gather to check out its fresh, sporty look? Well, not quite. But did the attention stealing design distract you from noticing that the entire street has been changing right before your very eyes? Don't believe us? Have another look. Did you spot the van changing to a taxi? How about the scooter changing to a pair of bicycles? Or the lady holding a pig? Let alone the fact that the entire street is now completely different. Didn't think so.
0: God is at work all around us, but if you're focusing on just one thing, you may completely miss everything else that's happening around you. In the chaos and clutter of our life, we can completely miss God moving in the lives of people and how he wants to move in us. So the question again isn't if God is doing something, but the question that we should ask is, God, what are you doing in this situation? Help me to see. There are three ways I believe God works in the lives of people. And as I was looking through scripture, I believe we can see this clearly in the life of Jesus himself. The first way that God moves in the lives of people is in prosperity. In Matthew chapter 3, and we won't turn to it, but I highly recommend you guys read it in your own time. We see Jesus is about 30 years old, but Jesus has not done any miracles yet. He's not famous for any teaching of any sort. He is right now just a regular man according to the eyes of the people that are around him. However, Jesus does have a famous cousin whose name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was literally born to be the hype man for the coming Messiah. John the Baptist would constantly preach this, prepare the way of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. 2017 version, get your life together because the Messiah is going to show up and show out. You better get ready for it. So in Matthew chapter three, we see Jesus come meet his cousin in Galilee where he is baptizing people in the river. Now this is a quick, shameless plug as I'm preaching to invite anyone who has not gotten baptized yet to sign up for baptism. It's next week, you can do it on your Valley app or at the info table later today. Back to the sermon. Jesus shows up to see his cousin who is baptizing people in Galilee. And I can imagine when John the Baptist is baptizing people and he sees Jesus approaching, John the Baptist says, guys, this is the guy I've been talking about. This is the Messiah who I've been telling you to prepare yourself for. Yet I can also imagine the people that are there at this baptism look at Jesus and they're kind of like, are you sure this is the guy? He looks pretty ordinary to me. In fact, that's a carpenter. He fixed my table two days ago. Like, are you sure this is the Messiah that you're talking about? Jesus comes up to his cousin, probably gives him a head nod. He's like, listen, bro, I need you to baptize me. And John the Baptist, at first, he's hesitant, but then eventually he says, all right, let's do it. And as he puts Jesus in the water, he brings Jesus back up out of the water. And when he brings Jesus out of the water, the sky breaks open. The Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus in the form of a dove. And a voice is heard from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. If you were standing there, you would have known that certainly this is not an ordinary man. This man has the favor of God all over his life for that to happen. The man gets dipped in water and the sky turns into a speaker. Like that doesn't make any sense. So, What I believe that happens here in the life of Jesus is something that happens in the lives of many of us. We live in a culture right now. Many of you people, I know many of you people have been blessed and blessed tremendously. Blessed in a way that when people ask, what's your secret? Your only explanation is God did it. God is all over my life. Some of you guys can post some of the most incredible things on Instagram with the hashtag blessed caption because you know that's where it comes from. You are blessed with job opportunities, healthy children, uh, opportunities that have come your way that have caused for you to have influence in the community and culture. It's an incredible thing. And all of it comes from God. Every gift and talent, it's a gift from God and shows his favor on you. It's a way that God can move so that when we testify of his goodness, people can see it. But I do need to speak into this because although that this is an incredible way that God moves in our lives, this is often a way that many people try to manipulate God. There are people that want you to believe that if you just have such a certain amount of faith and you pray a particular type of way and you buy these holy products, that you will be able to have prosperity in your life wherever you go. You'll never get sick. You'll never deal with hardship. But that's not how God works. Although he blesses us with things here, he makes us prosperous in particular ways. That's out of his favor, but not out of duty. It's not us working the system. Truth be told, there is no one that has ever been able to earn the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. And God, being the good God that he is, shows love. I'll go on a one-minute rant, then I'll get back to the sermon. God, in his love, shows this. That instead of just giving us things in the moment, things in the temporary, he loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life goes a lot further than the car that you drive right now, or the job that you have, or the places you get to vacation. And that's what we celebrate in. That's the thing that we rejoice in. And anything else that we get outside of the eternal life that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ is just a bonus for his glory. So we go back to the story And we see that God not only works through our prosperity, but God also moves in our pain. And we see this in the life of Jesus, because when Jesus gets out of the water after being blessed in such an awesome way, he ends up getting led in Matthew chapter 4 by the same Spirit of God to be in the wilderness where he didn't eat for 40 days and was tempted by Satan himself. And here's the thing, I grew up in church, many of you guys might have grown up in church and you've heard the story about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness for so long. But I think what what can be a problem is we read stories in Scripture and we don't actually put ourselves in the story. So I remember when I was um, in college, I decided to participate in something that was called like a 10-day fast. In the 10-day fast, we were not allowed to eat any food for seven days. No food, only water. If you needed sugar in your system, you could drink some type of tea, but that was it. By the end of seven days, I was straight delirious. I couldn't go into any classes. I wasn't talking to anybody. I just wanted to lay in bed and do nothing because that was the only thing I had energy to do. On top of that, in seven days, I kid you not, I'm in church, I'm not going to lie, I lost nearly 15 pounds from not eating any food. If seven days of no food makes someone lose almost 15 pounds, what does 40 days of no food make someone look like? What does 40 days of no food in the wilderness, a.k.a. the Middle Eastern desert, temperatures way over 100 regularly, being tempted by Satan himself, make someone look like? It's needless to say that whatever picture you may have in your mind of someone in that situation, it's a painful sight to see. And what bothers me the most in this situation is that the voice from heaven that spoke on Jesus' behalf when he was getting baptized in the water in Matthew chapter 3 seems to be completely silent in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is going through this whole situation. I don't know about you, but some people have gone through pain of dealing with a troubling situation, wondering why has not God speaking in this situation? And let me also say, Jesus knows that pain as well. But here's the one thing that we can take assurance in. Though Jesus was dealing with pain, there was a pain uh, that had a purpose to it. There's pain that we experience in our life that is only the fault of living in a broken world, living in a sinful world. And there's also pain that God allows for us to uh, endure and to go through. But whatever the situation is, we can take reassurance in this. In Romans 8:28, which says this, "...and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose." And this verse means that not everything that happens to us is good, but that everything that happens to us will work out for the good of God's glory and also for our benefit. If I could translate this verse in any way, any pain that we experience will not be a prison for us, but through God can be a platform by which that we can help others that are in need. Because I am convinced of this one thing. Although Jesus went through this pain and suffering while he was in the wilderness, I know that it was so much easier for him to love the people that were lonely because he knew what it was like to be by himself. Jesus knew how the importance of helping those that were in need and in hunger because he knew what it was like to starve. Jesus went through this whole ordeal in the 40 days and 40 nights of temptation in the wilderness, and that pain became the platform by which he did the three years of ministry that followed after. But we also see a third way that God moves in the lives of people and that God moves in our predictability. See, I think there's some people here that are are blessed right now everything is going great and there may be some people in here right now that may be going through some tough times and you really could use the God to help lead you and guide you let me say this as well God's silence does not mean absence by the way God never left Jesus but he helped him get through it but I will say that there's also a spectrum of people in here where life isn't bad life isn't necessarily grand but it's just okay And for many people that are in that situation, you may be feeling kind of stuck where you are, believing that maybe there's more to life that you should be experiencing, there's more to life that you should be doing, yet at the same time, for some reason, you're just kind of stuck in this place. I can almost imagine Jesus feeling the same way after the third or fourth week he was in the wilderness, feeling like, you know what, I'm out here, but I'm not doing what I'm called to do. Consider this. Jesus was called to do three pretty, three major things in the Bible. First, he preached and taught on the kingdom of God. He performed signs, wonders, and miracles. And ultimately, he died on the cross for our sins. What all three of those have in common is an audience. You need people to do the things that Jesus was called to do. And I can almost see the temptation for Jesus to say, well, there's nobody here, so... I'm just gonna hang out and then once people show up, then I'm going to perform to the level that I know I've been called to perform. And I kind of resonate with this as well because our uh, hearing this makes me remember when I was 17 years old and I felt God was calling me to be a preacher. And I already preached a couple of times and I thought I was good at it. I wanted to grow in the gift. So I decided to go to the church that uh, I was attending in Hartford, Connecticut. And I told the pastor that was there, listen, pastor, I believe that I've been called to preach, that there is a calling on my life. And I would love it if you can give me an opportunity to serve in that way. The pastor was enthused. He was genuinely excited about what he heard, and he said, listen, man, I got an opportunity for you. Come follow me. So he took me from one area of the church, and he was walking me to another, and in this walk, I promise you, I was hype. I was like, man, I'm about to get a Bible study. I'm going to be the youngest small group leader. I'm about to turn this church around. They ain't ready for me. So he brings me to this next part of the church, and it's the secretary's office, and the secretary isn't in the office, but there's just like a big old pile of papers on her desk and he was like hey brother listen uh, the secretary is out today it would be a great service to our church if you could fold these programs and then put them on the chairs in the sanctuary so people know what's going on in the lives of people at our church i was furious The bad and bougie in me wanted to tell this man, sir, um, I said I wanted to be a preacher, not a program folder. When you have an opportunity for me to preach, I will happily show up and serve in that way. Otherwise, I'm going home. Thankfully, I didn't do that. I decided to be humble, sit down and fold the programs. And I praise God that I decided to be humble and do that because if I didn't do that, I don't think I'd be here today because I wouldn't have the character to be up here today. There may be things that we feel stuck in where God is saying, no, this isn't you being stuck. This is me moving in your life to prepare you for where it is that you know you need to be. But if you don't take this preparation time, you won't be able to get to where you got to go. Your preparation time can be wasted time and none other than a second. And by the time you get to where it is you think you need to be, you don't have the character to stand and you end up making a fool of yourself. God wants to work in our lives, even in the midst of the times when we feel like things are not exciting. But after Jesus gets out of the wilderness, And he's now performing ministry. By the way, he took that time in the wilderness where he had no food to fast and to say, God, you are better. God, you are more. I am here to serve you and honor you. And that is what I'm going to do. Whether there is people here or not, I will honor you in private so that I honor you even more in public. And that is exactly what Jesus exemplified through his three years of ministry. And during his three years of ministry, he starts to recruit young men that he calls his disciples, and he begins to do a work in their life as well. And after he dies on the cross, rises from the grave, and he is getting ready to ascend into heaven, he calls he calls the three uh, excuse me the eleven disciples together that were there. Now keep in mind of this: the church is not a building. The church is a body of believers that get together. So Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, gathers the church together. These are the literal people that are responsible for the church that we're in today. And right before he goes to heaven, he tells the church this in Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There goes baptism again. God's trying to tell somebody here something today. Sign up for baptisms. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, in so many words, is saying, now that I have done a work in you, go so I could do a work through you. Pastor Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church says it like this, we're not waiting on a move of God. We are a move of God. We are his hands and feet ready to serve him by any means needed. And here's the thing about this. Because I believe, and I want to tread carefully here because I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I want to speak the truth as your pastor. I think many of us have gotten comfortable with this concept that the idea of going and making disciples is more just inviting people to church. And when people come to church, they'll hear the gospel, they'll have a church experience, and they'll be able to come to Jesus for themselves. I believe that is true. I believe every person should do that. You should invite everyone to church. You should uh, be sure that you are investing here in this community, this body of Christ. And we've already seen over 100-plus people give their lives to Jesus since January. That is an incredible thing. That is the move of God, revival. Praise God for that. That is an incredible thing. But here's the one problem if that's your only way of reaching people with Jesus What do you do when the person you invite to church doesn't want to go? Maybe it's a bad church experience. Maybe they're just completely disinterested in Jesus. Maybe they genuinely just can't make it to a Thursday or or a Sunday or an online campus. How do you reach those people? I believe that there are three ways by which we have the ability to reach anybody wherever they're at. And Jesus exemplifies this as well. This is why he tells the church not to gather more so, but to come together, be equipped so you can go out. Jesus exemplified this because even in his own ministry of all the miracles Jesus ever did, And we know that there's plenty of miracles that weren't recorded in the Gospels. But of all the miracles that Jesus performed, only 8% were performed in a synagogue, were performed in a place of worship. And those were awesome miracles that occurred. But this also means that 92% of the miracles Jesus performed were happening outside the gathering of God's people. God performed miracles at pools. And some of you own pools. Miracles can happen at your pool. God performed miracles at weddings. Some of you guys are invited to weddings. You're going to be at weddings in the next coming weeks and months. God performed miracles in the marketplace. Some of you work in the marketplace. There are miracles that can happen there wherever you are because the Spirit of God, if you are a believer, is working through you to accomplish those things. So with that being said, I want to talk about the three ways that we can best show God's power in the lives of people, both in and outside the church. Three ways that God moves through us. The first one is God moves through our testimony. Your testimony is the most powerful tool you have in helping someone come to Christ. We live in a very inquisitive age, an age of alternative facts and fake news so because of that so many people have questions that they want to get answered and we do our best here to equip you with those answers especially when it comes to God and the Bible but nothing can ever be refuted about your personal story people cannot refute your own personal experience so the story that I love in the Bible comes from John chapter 9 where uh, there is a man that was born blind. Jesus shows up and he heals him. And after the man is healed, he ends up in this court case by some Pharisees. And they're throwing all these questions on this man that used to be blind. Who is this Jesus? Is he a sinner or not? How does he do these things? Did he use mud? What's the deal? Tell us about Jesus. And he, the man eventually just speaks up and says, listen man, I don't know all these answers that you need. All I know was this yesterday. I was blind. And to now and now I see that's all I know. I couldn't see you yesterday and today I can see you. You look like you need sleep, but today I see you. And the only thing different between yesterday and today is I encountered Jesus in the middle. How powerful is it when someone can testify to that story? My marriage was almost over. Jesus showed up. Now my marriage is better than ever. I was on the brink of suicide. Jesus showed up. Now I have 13 reasons why I get to live. I was dealing with porn and addiction and all types of bondage. I met Jesus in the middle, and now I'm finding victory day after day in him because he has made me whole. People can't refute that. And what I want to encourage you today is to never be ashamed to tell someone your testimony. Never be ashamed to tell someone your struggle because that pain that you dealt with, like I mentioned before, can be a platform by which you can help someone else get back on their feet. The second way that we see God moves through the lives of people is God moves through our kindness and generosity. Romans 2 verse 4 says this, Do you show contempt for the riches of his, this is God's kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? This is the apostle Paul writing to the church of Rome, by the way, saying, listen, do you not remember that it was God's kindness that brought you to him in the first place? How much more should we be showing this to people that are in need? I believe one of the best ways that we can show God's love, that God can move through us, is having intentional acts of kindness, intentional acts of generosity. And I want to thank everybody so far that's been donating shoes for souls for souls. We really appreciate that, putting shoes on the feet of those that are in need. And we encourage other people that there's still time throughout this month to do so. But what I love about this church is just the amount of generosity that's here. But what is a struggle to me is outside of the people I know here in this body of Christ, I can't name 10 generous people that I know. You may struggle with that as well. And also people that do not know Jesus struggle to name 10 genuine, generous people. How much more should we as the body of Christ be able to show that kindness and generosity? And it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be major. It could just be a text. It could just be a phone call. It could just be paying for someone's drink at Starbucks. Something small, but something that just helps people to understand that God loves them and he wants to be a part of their life. I have a mentor. His name is Ryan. He doesn't attend Valley, he attends another church, but great man of God. Ryan is a tall guy, a lot taller than me, and he loves basketball. So one of the ways that he shows intentional acts of kindness is every time he goes to the gym to play basketball or just some local court where there's a bunch of people gathered, he always buys a pack of Powerade, and then he brings it to the basketball court to hand out to people. What blows my mind, though, is he's trying to be genuinely kind and generous, and people won't take the Powerade because they think it's some type of trap. Like, he's posing this Powerade. Don't drink that Powerade, bro. I don't trust it. And then other people go up to him and they're like, hey, man, so what's the deal? Are you, like, sponsored by Powerade? Do you, like, do you work for them? Do you not want us to drink Gatorade anymore? Like, what's your intention, man? No one's this nice. Where are you getting this Powerade from? And he's always saying the same thing. Man, it's $5 at Walmart. It's not that big a deal. I just just bought Powerade and I'm bringing it. Do you want one or not? It's just his way of showing love. But the reason I tell you the story is because something huge happened in the life of Ryan. One of the people that would always take a Powerade was this man named Dre. And Dre is this guy that's like older 40s, early 50s. He has no business playing basketball anymore, but he is convinced of showing the young people like how they used to do it old school. So he still plays. I got to pray for Dre today. Now nah, I think about it. But yeah, anyway. Dre is a hard kind of guy, but he always takes a power raid. And Ryan, continuing to bring a power raid, started opening him up to the gospel, sharing Jesus with him, and eventually even helped him come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's a powerful thing from power raid. Now, this guy is a believer in Jesus Christ. It's incredible. But this is the thing that's even more significant. Because someone came up to Ryan and told him, hey man, I heard Dre is now going to church. Did you know that Dre has a son in seminary trying to become a pastor and Dre still wouldn't go to church? How'd you get him to come to church? The reason why Ryan told me this story was because he wanted to encourage me with this fact. That he doesn't play basketball. God didn't give him the gift to play basketball just so he could play basketball. But God gave him the gift to play basketball so he could reach people that do play basketball but may never want to come to church. You aren't just a doctor, a sales clerk, teacher, lawyer, fill in the blank with whatever your profession is. God has given you the opportunity to serve in that way to reach people in those areas of life that may never feel interested to come here first. That's the power of God in the lives of those that believe. But what even impacted me more was this, as I was thinking about what Ryan said, he told me this, uh, as I was thinking about this fact, if Dre has a son that's a Christian praying for his God, praying for God to bring his father to Christ, I can imagine there were days when Ryan, excuse me, when, when Dre's son was praying, saying, Father God, Please save my father Dre. And how God used somebody in a completely different place with some power raids to show up to the basketball court so that Dre could end up being led to Christ. An answer to his prayer. There are people all over the country, all over the world even, that are believers in Jesus Christ and they want to see their loved ones come to faith in him and those are the same people that you work with. The same people that you talk to every day. The people that you consider your neighbors are the people that are being prayed for. And God can move through your life through kindness and generosity to be an open door for them to come to faith. My last point is that God moves through our prayers. Prayer moves the hand of God, and God moves things on earth. I believe one of the most amazing ways we can influence people is just by offering them prayer. So I want to challenge you with this before we finish, and I know this may cause a lot of stress in some people's lives, but I promise you, trust me on this. If you try it, just try it. It will bless you, all right? Next time you're at the restaurant, next time you're at Starbucks, wherever you are, and you're talking to someone that you don't usually talk to, right before they they walk off, when they say, do you need anything else, ask them this question. Is there anything you need prayer for? Is there anything in your life I can pray about? I'll be real. I do this regularly. There are times when I ask and I get straight up declined. I was on the phone with somebody just last week. I was like, hey, is there anything I can pray for? No, click. I was like, all right, fine. You're going to be like that. There's other people I'm like, do you need prayer? I don't know. It's kind of weird. Can I get back to you on that? Okay, that's fine. No pressure. You don't have to pray for them right there, by the way. Just ask if they need prayer. Because when you ask if some people need prayer, you will be shocked at what a stranger will tell you because they need God to intervene in their life. I'll give you three stories and then I'm done. First person was a girl named Ariel. Me and my family, we went out to a restaurant celebrating a birthday and this was a waitress. Ariel was a waitress who was super nice to us, made us laugh, joked with us, always made sure our drinks were full. And right before we, we finished up and we sent a check over and we were heading out, I asked Ariel, Ariel, is there anything in your life I could pray for? And she said, yeah, please pray for happiness because I seem happy, but I'm not happy. Another person was Edward, me and my wife. We were coming back from this trip in D.C. in the late fall, early winter. And we stayed at this hotel, and the hotel manager was there helping us out. And right before he let us go, he was like, do you need anything else? And I said, yeah, is there anything you need prayer for? He's like, my son is in the military. It would mean so much to me and my wife if he gets to come home safe for the holidays. Can you pray he gets home safe? I told him, Edward, you best believe I'll be praying for your son from here on out. Another person is Claire. Claire works at a, uh, uh, one of those department stores. And I remember asking Claire, Claire, real quick, right before I leave with these batteries, can you just, is there anything in your life you need prayer for? And she stopped and she said, can you please pray for my family? My family is torn apart. Can you please pray for my family? I don't know this girl. She's telling me this. The next time I I went to the same store, I saw Claire, and I was like, Claire, how's your family? She's like, sir, God is good. My family's doing better. Thank you so much for your prayers. It means so much to me. The things that we can do in the lives of people, if we're just willing to stop in the busyness of our lives and just say, God, what are you doing in the life of this person? What can you do through me in the life of this person? You'll be shocked at what we encounter, but even more amazed at what God can do through you if you trust in him. So with all this said, I want to ask you one last question. Are you coming or going? I'm so grateful for this church and the way that it's growing, and I'm so grateful for all of you for being here. But it would be a pity if after all that God is doing here, this is where our faith stops. But instead, let us be the hands and feet that God has called us to be. And let us go out to share the gospel, not just in word, but in action to those that need it. God is moving and is more active than we realize. And if we get to be a part of his work, you will be shocked at the things that you'll be able to witness. That's what my mother taught me. And I believe it's something that we can all live in our lives as well. Can you please bow your heads and close your eyes? For some of you in here today, you may feel stuck. You may feel in pain. You may be in a situation where God is great, but nevertheless, you just need him to move in the situation. Let me let you know that God is already here. He's already present, powerful, and loving, and he is ready to move. And maybe you're in here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus and you're wondering, God, what are you doing in my situation? I'm bold enough to say right now that he is calling you to himself. That is what he is trying to move in your life. So first, I want to pray for those that are believers right now and are in a situation. God, I thank you for each and every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you for the way that you've moved in their life and you've allowed them to be here today to hear your word preached. And I pray that this be a word that we are never the same for it, that we no longer live in the comfort of our seats, but we be ready to step up and engage and to see change happen in our community and our family and the people that are around us thank you for what you've done in our lives and we pray that you continue to do more of a work in our lives into completion till we look more like you each and every day but give us the boldness and the bravery also to step out in faith so that you can work through us to see your kingdom built in the Hudson Valley area and everywhere that we go and if you're in here right now and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, here is an opportunity. Like I said, Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life so that you could have it, so that you can have an eternal relationship with him. And he wants to do more than just give you salvation. He wants to make your life one that is prosperous in more ways than you can imagine. So with that said, pray this prayer after me. Dear God, I need you. I ask that you move in my life. I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and ask that you help me to trust you, love you, and live for you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.